Welcome to Lowlit Studio. I'm going to read a brief exchange from a back and forth with a family member. And <clears throat> I'm just going to dive right in. For those of you who have maybe a tight time constraint and need to have me cut to the chase, I'm going to try to cut to the chase early on and then. I'm going to try to explore a conundrum and I welcome you to join me on this shared exploration of a conundrum or a quandary. Here is the email from one of my family members. He says, it pains me to see you are carrying so much anger and sadness. I wish for your peace and healing. It occurs to me to ask what you feel like you want from me, other than to keep hearing you with an empathetic ear. My response is, I am clear about what I need. I and others need accountability and apologies for shutting down the world and calling the non-injected murderous extremists. Prior to that exchange, uh, prior to that exchange, there is a back and forth email with a family member and we've been estranged now for at least two years going on three and i don't want to make this podcast today about him uh, and at the same time the back and forth between him and i i can only compare it to a type of uh, repeated insult to injury. The word trauma has been pretty much, uh, it's one of those embarrassing words because it's been a, um, trauma has been pedestalized and, um, also misunderstood there's a type of, um, embarrassment around the word trauma. With that being said, in post-traumatic stress disorder, trauma being the second word, post-trauma stress disorder, when a person experiences severe trauma or a traumatic stress, there is a sequence of physiological reactions that happen, one of which is usually that trauma, that post, oh, sorry, that traumatic stressor <clears throat> causes the physiology of a body to release a flood of chemicals, one of which is called cortisol, adrenaline. The body is flooded with chemicals, and when you're experiencing severe stress or trauma, either from a 
one-time big event like a 9-11 or like a one-time big event followed by a uh, ongoing aftermath of smaller events the way 9-11 was because 9-11 was one big event but then there was an ongoing uh, societal, societal, spiritual, governmental, political uh, repeat offense that digressed into a war in Afghanistan, a war in Iraq, uh, things like Patriot Act 1, Patriot Act 2, the increasing escalation of a um, security state, less freedoms, uh, and each one of those was a smaller stressor, yet it followed the bigger stressor. What I'm getting at here is that whether it is a drip, 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 constant yet subtle stress, subtle trauma, or whether it's a one big event, both of those cause adrenaline, cortisol, uh, they cause a type of exhaustion and fatigue. Um, but the, the confusion about post-traumatic stress disorder, it took a uh, few decades of evidence through CAT scans, MRIs, x-rays, that post-traumatic stress disorder is not some uh, mental or spiritual or psychological uh, thing. It's actually a physical and very actual physical retardation where the cortisol, whether it's a drip, 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 steady release of cortisol or whether it's a one big massive flood of cortisol, both of those cause a deleting or an erasure a deterioration, um, a disintegration of actual brain matter. So the physical brain, the actual real physical brain undergoes a, how do you say it, deletious? Like it's deleted. It is, it is um, reduced, eroded, damaged from the drip, drip, drip of that cortisol, which is like an acid. And that stressor of that acid causes brain damage. And that brain damage then symptomizes in all sorts of ways that uh, would be very different in each individual. There are some common denominators in how the brain damage symptomizes in things like impaired sleep, impaired energy during the day, um, a reduction of uh, meaning, sense of self. Uh, some of the symptoms have to do with lethargy, exhaustion, um, brain fog, um, uh, 
quicker to anger, quicker to upset, um, less ability to be self-contained and self-controlled when the fight, flight, freeze part of one's physiology is um, activated. So the, the physical retardation from post-traumatic stress is a real thing. So when a person undergoes a big shock or a horror, or they are terrified, or if it's an ongoing subtle horror, that it actually causes brain damage. Also prolonged cortisol stressors do other things like fray the ends of one's DNA. So there's all sorts of actual physical damage that happens from uh, big stresses, ongoing stresses. <clears throat> and these past three years are an example of that. There, there's very likely actual post-traumatic stress disorder uh, evidenced in the decay of people's brains from the stress of the cortisol because it's not just the um, stress of the boogeyman. It's not just stress of the um, virus. Uh, there were all sorts of stresses like people's businesses being closed down, only essential workers being allowed to stay in business, um, people losing their homes, uh, people losing family and friends by um, being called all sorts of names from super spreader to um, dangerous, anti-vaxxer, far-right extremist, all of these types of um, verbal abuses. And the stresses and strains of being further isolated, further estranged, um, labeled, uh, mocked, made fun of, anti-masker, anti-vaxxer, super spreader, um, non-essential. I mean, that, that is just quite a horrible Orwellian term, non-essential. In these back and forth communications with my family member, he is very pro-vaccination, very pro-vaccination. And he sent me an email prior to the one I read you at the beginning of this podcast. And I can tell that he's trying to be uh, kind and compassionate, which I appreciate. Um, he said that Maybe we can pull the lens back out. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. I'm not reading the exact email, but he was saying, you know, if we could really pull the lens out, we could see that we both want the same things. He was saying that he wants everyone to get vaccinated because he doesn't want anyone to get harmed. And I'm, and then in that email, he says that you, speaking of me, that I want everyone to get vaccinated because, sorry, him, he, I'm going to re-paraphrase this. He says that he wants everybody to get vaccinated because he doesn't want people to get harmed. So he's saying that he has a compassionate, he's 
he's compassionate. He's coming from a place of compassion is what he's saying. And then he says that I am also coming from a place of compassion. And he says that I don't want anyone to get harmed. And that's why I don't want people to get vaccinated. So he's posing it like it's these two equal forces that both want people to not get harmed. And so he's saying, and he literally says that he's coming from a place of compassion. I would challenge that sentiment or that belief that we're both coming from a place of compassion. I think it's silly to think that anyone is getting vaccinated for any other reason other than fear. And that, that part I'm just gonna stick to my guns on is that the only reason people are getting vaccinated is out of fear. It has nothing to do with compassion or love or kindness or it's just fear. That's all it is, is, is fear. That's the driver of why people are getting vaccinated. That's the driver. And Here's some of the conundrum and quandary that I'd like to explore together, which from the very beginning, uh, from the very beginning of a vaccination campaign, it, it just never made sense from the very beginning. And I want to get into the very, very small soundbite of why it never made sense. It never made sense from the very beginning. And it has to do with differences. My family member, when he was saying that you don't want everyone to get vaccinated because you don't want people to get harmed. And he's saying that he wants everyone to get vaccinated because he doesn't want people to get harmed. He's saying that our, our reason is the same, our approach is different. And then he said, it's because that him and I are differently informed. And I just, differently informed, it really brought a smile to my face because it seemed to be the newest and best uh, addition to the woke dictionary, to the uh, terms of the wokeologists. It seemed to be the newest and brightest woke terminology, differently informed. That one just continues to make me laugh. And it really struck the nail on the head of why vaccinating the different people with a one-size-fits-all formula. Sure, there was the J&J and the Moderna and the AstraZeneca and the Pfizer. So there were, there were like four different things 
but there was no real uh, insight or concern or regulation or approach. It was just, it was sort of just a free for all. And let's get into this. This is the soundbite for those that might need a shorter podcast to are on time constraints. Here we go. Let's just look at how different differences appear just throughout the world. Everybody has a different shoe size, different foot shape. And just within the whole realm of shoe size and foot shape, we have sandals, ski boots, work boots, cowboy boots, sexy thigh-high boots. We have Keds, cross, cross shoes, high heels, stilettos. Uh, there's Crocs, slippers. Uh, what else? What other kind of shoes are there? There's just too many types of shoes. We've got a million different shoe companies from Tevas to Adidas to, to Nike. There's just endless shoes, boots, sandals, high heels. Uh, and then there's bare feet. There's people who make homemade sandals out of rubber tires. There's just an endless variety of shoes. And then feet are like snowflakes. There's no two feet that are alike. Many people have a left foot that's a different size than their right foot, where even their two feet are very different. So there's just broad differences in feet. And right now I'm just wanting to remind you of the differently informed. So it's like woke terms oftentimes have the, have the truth embedded right in them. And yet the not sees can't see the truth. And this is what's really difficult is to try to point out through their terminology the truth of what they can't see and hope they can see it through that terminology they use. So just with feet alone, there's just infinite foot sizes. Now I did research the average foot size when you combine all the people in the world and the different sexes, genders, all the different foot sizes, when you average them all together, it's between a seven, a size seven and a size eight. That's the average foot size for the whole world is between a seven and eight. Do you yourself fit in that average size? I don't. I wear about a size 11, but it depends on the shoe company. Sometimes I wear a size 12. Sometimes I wear a size 10 and a half. I've sometimes wore a size 13. It just depends on the shoe company. Right now, the shoes that I have sitting next to me on the floor, they are a size 11. So I do not fit into the average. Another way that we're different is eye color. Eye color. Not just the color of our eyes, but we all have different vision. Some of us wear glasses. Some of us wear reading glasses. Some of us have glaucoma. Some of us have incredibly accurate vision. Some have blurry vision. All of our eyes are different. Some of us are light sensitive. So everybody has different eyes, different shapes to their eyes, different abilities with their eyes. We all have a different eye color. Blue, brown, green, gray. We're different sizes. You know, are you a 300 pound man 
Are you a 400 pound man? Uh, I have uh, worked with clients. I've worked with a client who is a 400 pound woman and I have clients that are barely over a hundred pounds. So are you 400 pounds or are you a hundred pounds? So the size and weight, and then the size and weight amongst each of the sexes and genders is just very, very broad and different. So different sizes, different skin. White people factually have thinner skin than black people. Black people by and large have thicker skin than white people. Women generally have thinner skin than men. Males generally have thicker skin, literally, factually, anatomically. This is pretty much across the board. Women generally have thinner skin, men have thicker skin, and the, uh, on, the, on the pigment or melanin level, the darker the melanin, the thicker the skin. The lighter the melanin, the thinner the skin. That's generally how it goes. So we all have different skin colors, different textures to our skin, different thickness. I have some clients whose skin is so sensitive and other clients' skin is very tough. We all have very different skin. Amongst those different skin, different ages, our skin is different as we age. My mom is 80. Her skin is much thinner now than it used to be. In fact, my mom asked me to measure her recently, her height. She's 80. But when she was my age, she was five foot four inches. She's now five feet. She has shrank four inches. In 30 years, she has shrank four inches. So she's lost height. So our height not only... Uh, not only is different amongst each other, but our height differs over the course of our lifetime. Of course, we start out small, we grow taller, 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 and then as we age, we shrink, shrink, shrink. So we're different throughout our own life and what age we are. Our bone density, our muscles, our tendons, everything's different. We have not only different blood groups, but we have different blood types. For blood groups, there are four major blood groups determined by the presence uh, or absence of two antigens, A and B, on the surface of red blood cells. Antigens are substances which trigger immune response. They are uh, part of what allows the body to recognize things that are foreign to the body. There's four major blood groups, A, B, AB, and O. And then there's how many blood types? In the addition to the A and B antigens, there's a protein called the Rh factor which can be presented plus or minus, creating the eight most common blood types, A plus, A minus, B minus, B plus, O plus, O minus, AB plus, and AB. Now, AB negative, sorry. Now, that's just the ones that we know about. 
there's no way to know if there's more than that. You'd have to test every single person's blood on earth to know if there's more than those blood groups or blood types. And right now, that's all of the ones we know, and there's probably more than that. There's probably interesting combinations that are multiplicities of those. It's probably not as categorized as it's presented to us. There's probably gray areas and middle areas and anomalies and, and things that can't even be seen under the microscope. There's probably mysteries and anomalies that are beyond the microscope or beyond the human eye. Let's just look at all the different cultures in the world. What is a culture? Well, a culture, there's infinite cultures on the world, in the world, and cultures usually are differentiated by the way they dress, their language, their music, their dance, their art, their food, their medicine, their diets, their spiritual and religious beliefs, their political and government beliefs their beliefs about life and death and all of the different rituals and ceremonies. So culturally, there's just infinite cultures out there, and those cultures are ever-changing and evolving, and, and some are ancient, some are more new, some are combinations. Obviously, if you have a Hindu married to a Christian, now you've got a cross-cultural variation that would be different than a Hindu if they married a uh, is Islamic, a Muslim. And so there's a myriad of different cultures. And then with, within those cultures, there's different medicines, diets, regions, cold, mountainous people that are shepherds. There's valley people that are agricultural farmers. So you've got different ways of life in different climate zones. Humid, dry, cold, just all the different climate zones and different regions. So different, all sorts of variations there. We talked about body heights and weights. We didn't even mention shapes. We've got blobby people, skinny people, square people. I mean, some one person's head might be shaped like a square, while another one's head might be shaped like a circle. Everyone has different shaped tummies and breasts and abdomens and thighs and genitals, like all sorts of different shapes. There's different variations of special. We have people with Down syndrome. We have people with multiple sclerosis. We have people with uh, uh, things that go in and out of remission. You know, someone might have uh, joint pain three days a week, and then four days a week feel fine. We've got all sorts of variations of how people are defined as special or handicapped or able-bodied or non-able-bodied. And that can change dramatically from one day to another for a person or over the course of someone's life. My mom today is walking with a cane. Last week, she wasn't. She might not be walking with a cane in another few days. So her ability level changes because she's 80, it's not fixed. I wish I kept 
the uh, news piece that I heard during an NPR uh, an NPR news piece back in the uh, January of 2021. And I don't remember the exact numbers. What I do remember was that the money that was allotted to spreading uh, the marketing and advertising of the vaccine was at least twice as much as the money spent on the vaccines. So the marketing and advertising cost much more than the vaccines cost. Let's just call a spade a spade. So the propaganda to market the vaccines to us was very expensive. And it's quite astonishing to just Google search uh, some of the flyers and posters. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff about essential workers and some of them are just really, really frightening. Um, some look like old communist um, posters. There's one that looks very communist and it says vaccines for all. And it's a woman holding up a peace sign with her fingers and it looks like a communist poster. Um, there's another one that looks like an old Greek painting and it's a woman with a paintbrush and it says vaccines for all and she's dressed like a Greek goddess. Um, there are just simple hand-drawn signs, you know, free COVID vaccines ages 12 and up, just hand-drawn, you know, outside of clinics. Uh, there were just countless news articles. Uh, there's one from Wall Street Journal that was about who is the next group that should be vaccinated when the vaccines first started rolling out, like who should be vaccinated first? And there's an article in the Wall Street Journal that was that had a vaccine as the middle of a dial, like you could spin the vaccine and then it would point at who should be vaccinated first. And on that list of possible people to be vaccinated first, incarcerated people, teachers, uh, what else did it say on there? Meat packer, cashiers, diabetics, nursing home residents, bus drivers, octogenarians, which means people in their 80s. And those were some of the examples of that ad. Um, vaccines save lives. Vaccines for all. Um, there was a lot of stuff about essential and non-essential workers. Um, there was one that said, I, I don't have it here, but there was one that said the vaccines are as essential as you are, which was kind of a, that one really kind of bothered me. <laughs> the vaccines are as essential as you are. That's very strange. So the, the marketing and advertising was massive amounts of money. And when, when we're talking about the money uh, from that NPR news story, we were specifically talking about tax dollars, your money. So your government used your money to aggressively market to you to get vaccinated. Which is just interesting, you know, that, that your money was used 
just massive amounts of tax dollars to market back directly to you to get vaccinated. Some of the other things that just turn up in that archaeological evidence of just diving into some of the old flyers and articles over the last few years, I stumble upon one that shows how Canada has pre-ordered almost nine doses of COVID-19 vaccines per person. Nine doses. It shows that the United States ordered almost eight doses per person. The United Kingdom ordered almost six doses per person. So too did Australia. The European Union ordered about five doses per person. Japan ordered just over two doses per person. And remember, 13 billion doses have been administered over the last few years, over 13 billion doses is what we're up to globally. Okay, so we just went over all of the differences, all of the differences. There's more differences than we could ever imagine. It's, it's infinite, it's eternal, it's, it, there are more differences. And yet, we're being told to do this one-size-fits-all thing. And we're not being really told what the actual differences are with the J&J and the AstraZeneca and the Pfizer and the Moderna. We, we know a little bit, but there's no long-term studies whatsoever to show us what the effects of those will be over the course of our lives or over the course of weeks or months. There's no studies to show how, say, a person with blood type AB negative will react, how the antigens, when we are looking at just blood types alone, and we're talking about the antigens, and how what makes people's blood type different is that each of us have a different, it's almost like we each have a different self-defense system within inside ourselves, that our antigens are different, that when something foreign enters our body, each of those blood types have, has a different methodology of how that foreign substance will be seen as a foreign invader. And some of the, I think this is sort of a scary part of the technology is that we heard how the um, technology of these vaccines was going to be hidden inside of uh, lipids. Lipids are fat cells. So they were going to hide, they were going to hide the foreign invader inside lipids so that the antigens wouldn't recognize that this foreign substance came into the body, which seems to be a little bit hubristic or arrogant to just think that's going to happen for one. And do we want to hide things from the antigens? Do we want to sneak things into the body like that? Um, would you want something coming into your home without your permission? 
without you noticing? Would you want some new thing to come inside your house without your permission or without inviting it in? Um, it's, it's quite a conundrum and a quandary. Um, even considering how to argue or present your own self-defense or your case to the very pro-vaccine, let's just call them what they are, the vax supremacists. The largest supremacist movement in world history as evidenced by 13 billion doses. It's when we are talking about post-traumatic stress disorder, one thing that comes up in the science on trauma is that each time there's a new stressor, a new trauma, if a person has post-traumatic stress disorder, they've already experienced brain damage from the original stressors. And each time there's a new stressor, especially if it's similar, there's an exponential quality, there's an exponential quality to the uh, enhancement of the severity of that damage. It's like the tipping point's already been crossed. And each time you add more stress and strain to that person that was already stressed and strained to the point where they have brain damage from it, each new stress and strain is is a type of insult that is now exponentially more insulting. And so when we have, say, a family member that is a vax supremacist, and when we have to try to start explaining what it's like to be abused by a humongous system, as evidenced by 13 billion people, those 13 billion people didn't do they didn't allow themselves to be penetrated out of love. They got penetrated out of fear. And that is horrifying. That is terrifying. The marketing and advertising was a terror campaign. The marketing and advertising was a campaign to make us afraid, to terrorize us. So there's a whole stress of cortisol there. The... And that was massive millions of dollars to terrify us, to horrify us. So that was already causing drip, 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 constant cortisol release in our bodies. When we're walking through Safeway, Acme, Albertsons, Walmart, CVS, Walgreens, walking through any grocery store and we're hearing over the loudspeaker and the PA system some of that terror campaign, that marketing and advertising campaign to scare us, to make us afraid, to comply, to be part of the supremacist movement that considers itself from fear more superior than the people who don't take the penetration. As you're walking through that store, being terrorized by that marketing advertising campaign, it's like a cortisol drip, 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 that's eating away your brain and it's eating away your ability to cope, to manage, to self-collect. So that when a family member, like my family member, says that he's sad, he's saying that he's sad that we don't have a relationship anymore. One of the most, sorry to go off on a tangent, I don't even know if I should say this, but 
one of the things in one of his emails to me was that he said that he wants to have a relationship similar with the ones he has with people that used to be strangers that are now acquaintances. And it really read, <laughs> when I read it, it was almost like him saying, he just wants a real superficial relationship with me like, like he has with the clerk behind the cash register at the grocery store. He just wants it superficial. And when I read this kind of stuff and I think about the one-size-fits-all marketing and advertising campaign that targeted all of the differences all over the world, all of the cultural size, shapes, with a one-size-fits-all. It doesn't matter whether you're a 100-pound, 80-year-old woman or whether you're a 400-pound, 18-year-old boy, you just get the same injection. It doesn't matter whether you have blood type AB negative and you live in a cold, mountainous, sheep herding community or whether you have blood type B positive and you live in warm, tropical. It doesn't matter whether you eat a diet of meat or you eat a diet of vegan or whether you are... Uh, it, do, it just doesn't matter in this one size fits all. This is just where it's very difficult to try to put into words the self-defense, the argument, because even trying to put it into words is another exacerbation. It's another excel, acceleration. It's another amplification of the stress, the strain, the abuse, the manipulation, the coercion that we've been put under with the drip, 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 constant barrage of marketing and advertising of fear, terror, not love, all about supposedly safety to do something that isn't safe. How did Brett Weinstein say it recently? He was talking about if you have drank a bunch of drinks and you get behind the wheel of a car and you drive home, how did he word it? He said something about how it's not. He said there's no way to say that was safe. Uh, I'm trying to remember how he differentiates the safe part and compares it to drinking and driving. There's no way to know that these vaccines are safe, especially when you're talking about all the different blood types, the different antigens, the different sizes, weights. What happens if a diabetic person receives the shot? How are their antigens going to react to it compared to someone who has multiple sclerosis? How are their antigens and their different blood types compared to someone elderly, compared to someone young, compared to someone in a cold climate, warm climate. There's no way to say it's safe. Another thing that I just want to say as a side tangent is that the way that vaccines get FDA approval, that the way they get approval is that the FDA wants to see that the antigens react. They want to see that reaction. 
They want to see the antigens go into this state of alarm, state of self-defense, and then that's what gets them approval from the FDA. The vaccine companies get approval. So a guaranteed way to get the response of those antigens is to put mercury or put aluminum into the vaccine. That's a guaranteed way to get the antigens to freak out where they know there's something foreign now in the body that needs to fight, that needs to be fought against. That's one of the main reasons they put uh, mercury and aluminum in vaccines is to get that antigen response that gets them the FDA approval. That's a side note. But there again, if you're putting vaccines laden with mercury and aluminum in people with different blood types and different constitutions and anatomies. It's who knows how each antigen is going to react over time with those things. What I want to get back to is the re-traumatization. So when I say to my family member, what I need from you is an apology and an acknowledgement of the harm you've done as being part of the abusers, part of the bullies. The ones who took the serum, the ones who took the penetrations, the ones that were wearing their masks for the longest period of time, that's a whole other topic of conversation, but the only reason they were doing those things is because of fear. And because they were doing this thing out of fear, it's very similar to racism or supremacist movements. Racists don't always consider themselves superior or better, but they the underlying motivator in racism is fear. You know, you, you could go to a society or a town or a village where, where racism was very prevalent. And the people in that town don't realize that they're racists. And it's scary to go into that kind of place, but this is similar with these vax supremacists. They don't, they don't realize that it's scary to be around them and partly why we need an apology and we need acknowledgement from them is because what's going to happen next time? Let's say there's another virus or another scamdemic or another pandemic or whatever it is. What are they going to do next time if they haven't apologized and taken accountability this time? And on a different side tangent, you know, why, why weren't they wearing masks before this, you know? And why aren't they still wearing masks now? If it's to protect and keep people safe, why weren't they doing it before and why aren't they still doing it now? Like, why are they not wearing masks now? It's very confusing. It would be one thing if they just kept wearing masks all the time to keep everybody safe. But the fact that they're not wearing masks now, like none of what the vax supremacists make any reason or logic, and that, that's what's so scary. And that's why it's very difficult to try to present to them reason and logic. A wise man named Dr. Mike Canan one time said to me, 
You can never convince someone to not be a racist using statistics, facts, figures, logic, reason, rationality, because he said racism's an emotional, it's an emotional issue. And there's a disconnect between that logic and emotion. And so the people that just took on all of that neurosis and psychosis of the fear-mongering and terrorism of the marketing and advertising campaigns, they took it on because they already had a, uh, they were already prone based on how they were primed and prone, prone somehow to be manipulated and coerced by all that fear-mongering and terrorism. And, and all of that marketing and advertising was effective on them because they already were prone and conditioned on some emotional level. And logic and reason and facts, none of that, it's, it's almost an impossibility to try to present to the vax supremacists the reason and the logic. And this is where this one little soundbite about all of the differences, the different shoe sizes, foot shapes, blood types, skin types, eye colors, heights, weights, thickness, thinness of skin, uh, antigens, antibodies, all of the ways that were so different. The, the, the supremacist the supremacist dogma, the supremacist ideology somehow has this underlying fear that believes in some kind of herd, herd immunity. And herd immunity is really nothing other than a massive supremacist movement saying the herd is better than the individual and the individual should be feared. And one of the things that unites all dark ages, the common denominator in every dark ages throughout history is the fear of others, is the fear of other. When all of this scamdemic popped off in 2020, 2021, that was the first thing that I just wish people could have realized was that this is the stuff of dark ages. Dark ages all have one thing in common, which is fear of other. That's really where it's a dark ages is that fear of other. It's a very ignorant thing. So herd immunity is beyond ignorant because it has used intelligence without love. It's intelligence with fear to fear the other. It's not intelligence with love. It's intelligence with fear. And it utilizes and uses science. It's like weaponizing science to rationalize and justify fearing other, which is very similar to a bygone era where science tried to tell us through things like frenetics that you could measure the shape and size of someone's skull and determine whether they were a murderer or a criminal which has all been debunked as just pseudoscience, crap science. We're now in this era where fear of other is, is rationalized 
through this intellectualism of science, making it even more ignorant than racism. Herd immunity is, is racism on steroids. It's a supremacist movement. 13 billion people allowed, not 13 billion people, I'm going to keep saying this wrong because it's hard to put the brain around it, 13 billion doses have been administered. So when you look at a country like Canada that ordered nine doses per person, some people are on their third dose, fourth dose, fifth dose, and then other people are on one dose, two dose. 13 billion doses have been administered globally. 13 billion doses have been administered globally. So amongst that 13 billion there is a massive amount of billions, whether it's 1 billion, 2 billion. If 13 billion people, let's just say two doses, we're talking about six and a half billion people that allowed themselves to be penetrated. And it can't be said enough that, I mean, it's just, it's just fact that Pfizer is the number one most fraudulent company in the history of all companies. It's the number one most uh, fraudulent. Pfizer has paid more criminal fines than any other corporation on planet Earth. They have paid more criminal fines than any other company that's ever existed. They've paid billions of dollars in fines for criminality. And this supremacist movement that's taking on and injecting themselves with that fear, it's like going into a town of racists who just fear the person that's not the same skin color. That is scary to go into that town where everyone's afraid of you. That's scary. And what we need, and I'm very clear about this, what we need from our friends and family and coworkers and political leaders and bosses, we need an apology for them being part of that fear, that movement of fear. And that movement of fearful racists, they're not racists, they're vax supremacists. That movement of vax supremacists that have chosen fear, which we can call mass formation psychosis. Psychosis is like advanced neurosis. Neurosis, neurosis is when your reaction to everything is negative or anxious. Psychosis is, is that, but on steroids. So mass formation psychosis, that's the vac supremacy. It's just a fearful, fear-mongering movement. And that fearful, fear-mongering movement has this ironclad law of projection built into it where it is pointing mass formation psychosis wants to blame everything else for its anxiety and fear. It wants to blame Trump. It wants to blame anti-vaxxers. It wants to blame January 6th. It wants to blame far-right extremists. It wants to blame Alex Jones. It wants to blame Glenn Greenwald, Tulsi Gabbard. It wants to blame COVID-19. It wants to blame Putin, Russia, 
all of that blob and partly why it's very difficult to try to talk to any member of that mass formation psychosis of the vac supremacy is because for the last three years, they've just been pointing the finger at January 6th, Tulsi Gabbard, Glenn Greenwald, Donald Trump, the Republicans, the, uh, the COVID-19, the, they, they, they just point at Putin and Russia and, and Trump. And it's just, it's just completely lacking accountability, apology, acknowledgement, for being similar to that fearful racist town that when you walk into it with a different skin color, you just feel scared. And that feeling scared three years in right now is exacerbating and advancing that cortisol, drip, drip, drip cortisol that's causing brain damage. So at this point, three years in, I don't know about you, but I feel like I have more and more brain damage from the stress of the cortisol of how to even present the reason and logic to the vac supremacy that has mass formation psychosis that has got to have some introspection at some point. I'm going to start wrapping up today's podcast with a few things just as a reminder. I just want to remind you that the Hippocratic Oath, it's not just do no harm. That's not, the Hippocratic Oath, in short, is generally about do no harm, but it's bigger than that. The Hippocratic Oath also includes, will my intervention be better than nature? Will my intervention be better than nature? If nature can do it better, then me as a healer, a doctor, a nurse, a nurse practitioner, a medicine man, whatever it is, if me as a doctor, a healer, a nurse, medicine man, if if I'm going to adhere to the Hippocratic Oath of do no harm, part of do no harm is that I will only intervene if my intervention can do better than nature. And this is, this is one of the scariest things about these last three years, is that the best thing that we could have done for COVID-19 was nothing, except let people do their health for themselves because we're all different. And to stop that whole fear-mongering thing of ivermectin was horse medicine, horse paste, or hydroxychloroquine was bad. Hydroxychloroquine is basically just boiled down citrus peels. It's basically like strong vitamin C. Ivermectin is just a tried and true medicine that kills parasites. Um, Vitamin D, exercise, sunlights. Instead, there was this authoritarian thing that shut down, you know, nature centers and beaches. I mean, people were getting fined on the beach for trying to go surfing and stuff. And so 
we need an apology. We need a reckoning, an apology from all of that overreactive, totalitarian, authoritarian thing that broke not only our constitutional rights, but also doctors violating their Hippocratic Oath, where their intervention was far, far worse than what nature could do. And then the other added insult to injury was all of the censorship that only these so-called authoritarian experts were allowed the microphone and everybody else was censored. And the ones that broke through that censorship were called far-right extremists or spreading misinformation or disinformation. And the fact is that the censorship was the hellishness and the evil acting as the strong arm bully for the authoritarian totalitarian evildoers for a deeper dive into censorship listen to the previous podcast that comes right before this one i'm pretty clear on what i need from my family member, my friends, my bosses, my ex-coworkers, my political leaders, I need an apology. I need acknowledgement that you did wrong, you did evil, and that you repent for your sins. Sin, sin means when you miss the mark. Sin is like you draw back that arrow and you missed the mark, you missed the bullseye. All of these so-called experts if you want the perfect model for how to do everything wrong, listen to the experts because all these experts got everything wrong in every imaginable way. And everybody with common sense knew this because everybody with common sense respects the fact that everybody is different and that a one-size-fits-all doesn't make any logical, rational, reasonable sense. And the only way a one-size-fits-all made any sense was for the ones that were living neurotically with either subtle neurosis, anxiety and fear, negativity, or extreme psychosis. The fear of other, the dark ages, the ones that somehow with unquestioning faith, the ones that never questioned it, who allowed themselves to be penetrated, penetrated, somehow a one-size-fits-all approach, somehow the one-size-fits-all approach was, was uh, like a, a, something out of a neo-dogmatic religious movement. It was like drink the Kool-Aid type stuff that no matter the size, shape, eye color, skin color, blood type, antigen, no matter that, just unquestioningly allow yourself to be penetrated. There's one more thing I'm going to say before we go. 
There's a Sinead O'Connor song. I think it's on the Universal Mother album, which I think is one of the greatest albums of all time. Sinead O'Connor's Universal Mother album. One of the songs starts off, and I don't know who is saying this. It sounds like maybe, I don't think it's Sinead. It sounds like a soundbite from history, but um, there's a soundbite that says, first there has to be remembering and then there can be healing. So part of the acknowledgement and the apology from that big amoeba, that town of all the racists that are afraid of other, that herd immunity racist town called the Vax Supremacy, that town of the Vax Supremacists has to have some remembering before there can be healing. When my family member says to me that he's sad or that it brings him pain that I'm in so much anger about this, it makes me kind of laugh because it almost reminds me of like a sociopath or a psychopath that's like killing you and they're, they have feelings because they're killing you. They're like, oh, I have feelings because I'm killing you and it makes them sad that you're in pain. It's a weird thing. But there has, to, there has to actually be a recognition for the examples of all the ways that they missed the mark. Sin, that they sinned. They have to repent for their sins. They have to be like, man, I really did miss the mark on X, Y, and Z, and I'm so sorry about that. There has to be some introspection and some self-awareness there for those, those townies that are worse than a town full of racists. Those townies that want a one-size-fits-all, homogenous, everybody has to be the same, and you all have to take Pfizer's, make everybody the same. It's, it's a cultish initiation. We know this. Everyone has to be part of that fear-mongering cult and if you're not part of that fear-mongering cult, you're going to be pointed at as the enemy. And that, that part, that part has to stop. And there is something I want to say to conclude. Go into a gravel parking lot where there are stones, pebbles, rocks, sand, gravel. You're going to get what I'm getting at here with how different everybody is, because we need to conclude with that understanding of how different everybody is and how a one-size-fits-all approach is never the answer. And I want you to see how so often we're lied to with these one-size-fits-all approach, whether it's the Wim Hof breathing method or whether it's uh, how many variations of one-size-fits-all approach. Veganism is a one-size-fits-all approach. Paleo diet is a one-size-fits-all approach. You know, many religions offer a one-size-fits-all approach. There's all sorts of examples of this one-size-fits-all. And so often, that is just a lie. And let's just talk about this for a minute to conclude. Go, imagine this, go into a gravel parking lot where there are stones, pebbles, rocks, sand, and gravel. Take a random sample of that mix of parking lot material. Collect at random 100 stones, 
collect at random 100 stones, weigh them, find the average, also known as the mean. Find the average or mean weight. Let's say that for pretend that your average is 0.035 grams. Now, throw those stones onto the driveway again, into the parking lot again. Then, walk around and try to find one stone that is what that average was, 0.035 grams. Very likely, you'll spend the rest of your life never able to find one stone that meets that average weight. You'll find stones that are heavier, much heavier, much, much heavier, lighter, much lighter, much, much lighter. You'll probably never find one that's exactly 0.035 grams. But the science told you that stones weigh 0.035 grams. You know, the average, someone did that with shoe sizes globally, and they found the average is between a 7 and an 8. I know that I don't fit the average. There's also eight blood groups out there, as we mentioned. But when you look at that even more detailed, there's 33 blood group systems representing over 300 antigens as are listed by the International Society of Blood Transfusion. So there's, there are not only eight blood groups at present, which means they've only discovered eight groups. And within those groups, there's 33 blood group systems, which means within those eight groups, there's 33 different systems in those groups. And that those different systems represent 300 antigens. So just right there, science is like, wow, there's all sorts of different antigens. And all of that's listed by the International Society of Blood Transfusions. So just whether it's blood, foot size, there's just too many reasons why that gravel experiment with the stones and rocks is important to understand. Because at the heart of the reason is that everyone is not only differently informed, as my family member said to me, he said the reason that he wants everyone to get vaccinated and the reason I don't want everyone to get vaccinated is that we're differently informed. And it's that differently informed thing that just stands out like a gem. Yes, we are differently informed and we're different in every way. You may spend the entirety of your life unable to find one stone that weighs what your science told you that stone weighs. When masks and vaccines are mandated, you're believing in a one-size-fits-all doctrine and ignoring the truth that irregularity is the norm and the exception to the rule is the rule. And anything that's irregular or an exception, you're afraid of. Dark age is afraid of. That's no, none of that irregularity or exception is allowed into that wokeville of mass psychosis vax supremacists, which is way worse than the racist town. It's like racism on steroids. One horrible thing to remind everybody of is that one of the new variations of the COVID vaccine got approval 
to be administered into children after only have having shown its efficacy on how eight mice reacted to that vaccine. So when I mentioned that sample size of go out into the driveway and collect a hundred stones, that hundred stones is far more scientific than those eight mice. And here's why. I don't know if you need a refresher course in science. If you take a coin, let's say you take a quarter and you flip that quarter and you are trying to flip that quarter heads or tails and you write down each flip. Did it go heads? Did it go tails? And you write it down. You can get a streak of eight in a row heads or you can get a streak of eight in a row tails. It's going to be very, very, very unlikely that you get a hundred in a row heads or a hundred in a row tails. So the reason why only eight mice were studied on is because, and this is true when you look at the studies, the scientific experiments that experimented on those eight mice, they did many experiments on a group of eight mice and they ignored the results. And then they experimented on another eight mice and they ignored those, those results. They, they did separate experiments on eight mice, eight mice, eight mice. And when they finally got the experiment that showed what they were looking for, similar to if you want to get eight heads in a row by flipping that quarter, they got the equivalent of flipping eight heads in a row on one experiment of eight mice. And then they submitted that to the CDC and FDA to show the efficacy that they were looking for. That's why they did it with eight mice. They didn't do it with a hundred mice. They didn't even do it with 50 mice because the odds of flipping a quarter heads, 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 50 times in a row or hundred times in a row, it's going to start working back towards a mean, towards an average where heads and tails are more 50-50. But you can get a run with eight in a row. And that's why that eight mice experiment got the approval through the CDC and the FDA to now penetrate innocent children with the Kool-Aid, with the cult unquestioning, unyielding Kool-Aid from the cult back supremacy to be part of that mass formation psychosis. And that part of the perversion of science to then penetrate innocent children needs to be part of your apology. Because as long as you're justifying penetrating children, based on a perverted scientific experiment, you're a pervert. And you have, to, you have to acknowledge that to gain entry back into my heart. Otherwise, I have to keep a strong boundary between me and you. I can still love you from afar, but you'll never get close to me if you're part of that uh, mass psychosis, perverted, child abusive, using science as the excuse to be abusing children, using perverted science to abuse children. That's, that's beyond um, 
is the word reproachable. It's, 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 um, it's exacerbating that shock, that trauma, that, um, anguish and pain and suffering. It's, it's, it, it's causing more of the logical and reasonable side of my brain to feel like it's being eroded from the cortisol of the absolute uh, shock and overwhelm that you're allowing, not only allowing, but encouraging perversion and abuse on children. I really don't care what you inject into yourself or, or any adult wants to put in themselves. But to say you're doing this out of compassion, that's insane. That's, that's, um, that breaks my heart. It hurts. Forgive them for they know not what they do and encourage them to gain knowledge, wisdom, and to actually live out of love instead of fear. Because that herd immunity dogma is just fear. And it's as scary as walking into that racist town with a different skin color. If you enjoyed this podcast, please, please, please send it to one of your family members that you're seeking an apology from.